PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Fliss. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we switch board studying up a bit. I am Iltafat Hussein. I'm joined by Dr. Blake Briggs. What's up, man? Hello. <laughs> wow, that was a nice, that's a nice radio voice right there. For each 10 to 15 minute episode, we drop high yield board knowledge. Uh, we like to say come for the stems, but stay for the content. Sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, as well as printed handouts. The printed handout game has been on fire recently, by it the way, has. Blake. Everyone has, has been talking about these printed handouts. I've heard people have been saving them onto their phones. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is emboardbombs, and you can find us on Instagram as well. We are uh, emboardbombs. Briggs, ready for the next topic? Skip Let's- my afternoon nap just for this. Oh, are you alluding to something? Skipping. I'm All right. <laughs> so a... 47-year-old patient presents to the ER with tachycardia by EMS. He was sitting at home using the Russian-created face app and having a lot of fun with it. It's this app that apparently like ages you or something. And it's all over Facebook. It's all over Facebook, right? He had recommended it to multiple family members as well. He was watching a certain news channel at the same time and saw them give commentary that this was actually Russia's conspiracy to hack into his life. And he thought he let the floodgates into his whole family. He immediately got anxious and worked up about this. <laughs> and he yelled out, no! Full stop. <laughs> he said immediately after he let out a 15-second no, he felt palpitations and his Apple Watch started to beep and tell him that he was about to die. He subsequently called EMS. Recommend calling 911. <laughs> <laughs> Vitals on arrival in the ER are heart rate 150, blood pressure is 115 over 90, Irregular and EMS notes an irregular rhythm on the 12 lead EKG. Which of the following is true? A. Metropolol has more profound negative ionotropic effects than calcium channel blockers. B. Electrical cardioversion is equally effective as chemical cardioversion. C. Diltiazem has been found to be faster at rate control than metropolol. D. New onset AFib of less than 48 hours duration does not require anticoagulation these are some really good stems Mm -hmm. you know sorry not stems but answer choices that we're going to really dive into i really feel like at the end of this this is going to be a little bit longer but you're basically going to be able to answer at least seven to eight versions of an afib question that you're going to get um anyways the correct answer is the correct answer here is going to be c diltiazem has been found to be faster at rate control than metoprolol on some certain studies yeah all right, so let's hit this. This is an exciting topic. Bread and butter, emergency medicine, the most common arrhythmia in the United States, right? which is atrial fibrillation. And you will see this at least once or twice or three times a month. Absolutely. Maybe once or twice a week. Yeah. This is a um, dysrhythmia, obviously, due to multiple micro reentry currents in the atrium. And, you know, we're going to dive right into this. We're not going to talk to the hepatophys no, too much not. about here. Yes. No, we're not. This yeah. is going to be straightforward, yeah. ER relevant, what to do with these patients. With a focus on nuance at AFib, as this question's getting into about electrical and chemical cardio. And that's how you're going to be asked on the test. Absolutely. And we'll make sure to stick with the board relevant stuff, not the edgy things that are coming about AFib no. management. No, 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 no. <laughs> like hanging people upside down. Uh, uh, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So why is AFib with RVR so bad? You know, people talk about this all the time. You know, hey, they're in RVR. What are you going to do about it? The, the big thing is that AFib with RVR occurs when you have greater than 400 atrial beats a minute. 
that are traveling to the AV node. And the AV node, remember, is this big gateway. It's a guardian of whatever goes through to the ventricles. And it basically, there's a correspondingly rapid ventricular response. Whoa, whoa, RVR, rapid ventricular response. Whoa. And whoa, watch out. And the ventricle obviously doesn't see 400 beats per minute, thanks to the AV node. It slows down these beats, but the ventricle still is on edge because it's not getting the right conduction speed, and therefore it sets its own conduction speed. And that's why you have this sometimes wide QRS complexes on the EKG, and it's rapid, and it's irregularly irregular. And so what are the causes of AFib? Just to, We can't pass this up for board-relevant causes of AFib, right? There's this awesome mnemonic uh, that uh, one of the Board Bombs co-hosts wrote about a few years ago. And his name doesn't start with an I. <laughs> May start with a B. Maybe. Maybe. And here, here's the thing. It's going to be sad atria. That's the mnemonic. Sad Whoever atria. Whoever came up with that, I like that. Thank you. So here we go. Sad atria. The S is for surgery, and that's going to be post-op from any cardiac surgery, valve surgery, cabbage, whatever. It's extremely common. The A is going to be atherosclerotic heart disease, straightforward. D is going to be any drugs, in particular sympathomimetics, like amphetamines, cocaine, dobutamine, dopamine, etc., epinephrine. The A of atria is going to be alcohol, and that's that holiday heart syndrome. T is going to be thyrotoxicosis. R is going to be uh, regurgitation or stenosis of the mitral valve, right? And you got to think about rheumatic heart disease for that, especially if you're not from the United States. The I is going to be any form of ischemia, so PE, pulmonary hypertension, hypovolemia, any form of shock, right, because it dilates that left atrium. That's the most common site of origin for AFib. And then the last A is going to be atrial tumors. Remember this zebra? I just have like a the mental mix, image. The mixomas? Like, yeah, just like the, the massive like thing beating in the heart, you know? Yeah, exactly right. The most common is going to be atherosclerotic heart disease or some form of ischemia. So what does AFib with RVR do to the body? And this is just a 30-second pathophys review just so you realize the importance of quick, it. Quick, quick, quick. Quick, quick, quick. <laughs> Hemodynamic instability causes a drop in cardiac output, therefore it decreases MAP, and then you have end organ damage. Pretty straightforward. And organ damage, I feel like, is the end route of every pathology in medicine. Death. Whenever a med student asks me something on shift, and I'm like, don't really know the answer, I'm like, well, eventually it causes end organ damage <laughs> somewhere down the line. <laughs> so we have to treat it here. <laughs> so eventual development of cardiomyopathy would happen, right? Because you have this arrhythmia-induced cardiomyopathy, and AFib is a major contributor to advancing heart failure, right? So that's why it's such a huge mortality increaser in these people that have known CHF, especially systolic CHF, because they already have poor left right. ventricular ejection fraction. And then the big, the big, also scary thing about RVR and AFib is going to be clot formation. Yes, and that's that, what we're worried about the that's most. That's what we're here. worried about. Yeah, it's going to be uh, clot formation happens greater than 48 hours. It definitely can happen less than 48 hours, but most commonly it's after two full days of uh, AFib. So the usual spectrum of the irregular heart rate you get in AFib uh, is going to be like 100 to 180 beats per minute. Um, if you are encountering rates, and this is a really nice board bomb pearl, high yield pearl here. If you're encountering rates of AFib with RVR greater than 200 beats per minute, you really need to think outside the box. Remember months ago when we talked about VTAC? We've right. come such a long way. We have. When we talk about slow VTAC and we said, slow VTAC, you got to worry about what? Electrolytes and drug overdoses, right? Like but TCAs. What, is and, the beats, what are the beats going to be for that? Yeah, it's going to be less than 200 for sure, like 160s, 180s. This is the opposite here. Right. If you got AFib that's in the VTAC range, right, right, in the 200s or higher, you really need to worry about catecholamine storm, which is a whole different topic, thyrotoxicosis, and then some form, scariest thing ever, shudder when I think about it, actually. <laughs> Villains go to sleep, wet their beds thinking about this would be... Darth Vader. Yeah, the Darth Vader. Reentrant accessory <laughs> pathways. If we say its name too loud, it'll pop into the ED right now. Like Lord Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> WPW. <laughs> Will Perkinson White, destroyer of worlds. <laughs> So if you got 
VTAC looking wide complex rhythm, but it's irregular, you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need to think about Wolf Parkinson White, antidromic Wolf Parkinson White. All right, so let's talk about this further. How do we treat uh, AFib with RVR here? We got to do different methods here. And Dr. Hussain, why don't you enlighten us a little bit and kind of the spectrum of what we're thinking about when we approach these patients in terms of your therapy for them? Right. So again, it's an overall spectrum. You're trying to reduce that AV node conduction. We talked about how that's a central part of it and how the downstream effects of it are, you know, causing your ventricles to not function the right way, right? Um, so if you have mild to no symptoms, you can do some PO therapy. This is where oftentimes uh, people say, hey, just take some PO diltiazem or um, PO um, load presser. And you'll have patients, oftentimes they'll actually do this at home if they've been in it before, right? They'll say, yeah, my cardiologist told me to take an extra uh, dose of my uh, cardiazem at home, right? Urgent therapy, this is where we start to see patients, right? Where they start to have symptoms. Um, and this is, you know, IV preferred. Now we're talking about IV metropolol, we're talking about IV diltiazem. And now emergency therapy, uh, this is kind of that, okay, end organ side of it, right? Where cardiac output is really starting to be diminished here. These are your unstable patients, hypotensive, altered mental status. And altered mental status is a key part as well. Oftentimes we don't, we'll say, oh, they're not hypotensive, but you know, they might be altered. They might not be getting the right cardiac output as well, right? Here, IV therapy and direct cardioversion. In addition, you should consider starting amiodarone or procanamide as well. And anticoagulation should be started in these patients as well. Now that we've defined PO versus IV versus some type of cardioversion therapy, uh, for your unstable patients. Uh, let's talk about actually the difference between rate and rhythm control really briefly. Um, what is kind of the difference in rate versus rhythm control, Dr. Hussain, and what, what's, what's been shown about that recently? So for the boards, you know, large studies have failed to really show an advantage to rhythm control. So by that, we mean, oh, we have to get them out of AFib, right? So your goal as an ER doc, number one, should be just slow them down to the point where their cardiac output isn't gonna be as bad and they're not gonna have hemodynamic instability, at least from a blood pressure standpoint, and they're not gonna be altered, and they're not gonna be very symptomatic. Uh, the goal really should be rate control. Absolutely, and so what are rate control options? Well, this is the stuff that med students would know for sure. This is stuff that you're expected to know. Metoprolol, IV push, Esmolol drip, we have our beta blockers. Right. On the other side of things, we have verapamil and diltiazem, our calcium channel blockers. Those are your four main rate control options. And the big difference here, we already know what beta blockers do. We're not going to go into the details about that. The big thing to understand here about the calcium channel blockers is that verapamil in particular has profound negative inotropic effects. And diltiazem does have less negative inotropic effects than verapamil, but once the rate is achieved with diltiazem when you do a push IV, an infusion should be started sooner or else you're likely going to lose that ventricular response and it's going to go right back into RVR. And so there's a caution uh, and a black box warning with the calcium channel blockers with AFib management, and that's they should be avoiding those with severe systolic CHF on hypotension. Diltiazem is preferred if you have to use a calcium channel blocker in that setting, but we, we like to step back and say, you may want to think about using a beta blocker. It really is unclear regarding preferred agents in the ED. This has been a huge debate ongoing. Yeah. And in the long run, guess what? Probably doesn't matter. Probably doesn't matter. <laughs> probably doesn't matter. The studies do suggest, and this is the correct answer, that diltiazem is probably faster. Um, and most people are supporting that now that it is a faster achieved rate control. However, both are very high efficacy treatments. Going into amiodarone, how could we skip talking about our favorite drug, which is not our favorite drug? Who wants to yeah. live with amiodarone 52 days? 
I was just about to say, it's very short, right? Yeah. <laughs> like 52 hours or 52 days? Every time 52. I see that drug infused, I literally think of that. I'm like, well, here we go, 52, 52 days, start 52. the countdown. <laughs> That's the half-life of amiodarone, 52 days. Oh, man. So the good news about amiodarone, this is actually helpful in, let's say, patients who are um, already hypotensive and they can't really mm-hmm. tolerate a beta blocker. Um, for example, um, from a stent that I did a short time in the ICU, you know, you see these patients in the trauma ICU and they cannot be hypotensive due to the fact they have very traumatic injuries and receiving blood products. Amiodarone may not be a bad choice. It is very unlikely to cause hypotension. Um, it is only really a second line agent next to our previous ones because one, there's a risk of conversion of rhythm because it is a rhythm control agent and multiple long-term side effects that we already talked about. Um, not limited to thyroid issues, lung fibrosis, LFT, elevation, and liver damage. So be extremely cautious with this drug as it can worsen those with pre-excitation rhythms. Yeah, so Will Parkinson White. And they might on the test show that hypertensive patient yeah. and want you to pick amiodarone when the real response is, no, you need to put 200 joules on the patient. <laughs> So right now. be careful of that because yeah. I feel like everybody knows that yeah. amiodarone is great for like a hypertensive patient, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, that patient that's presenting you in the ER, that's, again, we talked about that third line in that spectrum, uh, that emergency therapy where the patient's unstable. Um, at that point, really, you should be thinking direct cardioversion. Hey, you know what I love to use? What? Never. <laughs> Digoxin. Oh, man. Um, so that's never going to be the right answer on I a feel test. I like a lot of med students who might be listening to this might not even know what Digoxin is. <laughs> oh, come on. No way. They still teach about you, it. Do you think so? Oh, absolutely. They teach about you, it. You think so? They don't teach about DPLs anymore, though. Uh... <laughs> what, they do? No, I was just thinking. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've seen those done. <laughs> no, they don't teach about them, though. Oh, they really I've don't? had med students on shift. They don't know any clue what a oh. diagnostic peritoneal lavage is. That's a good thing, though. That we shouldn't be doing thing. those that anymore. Thing, as we mentioned in our prior board bomb. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, so digoxin. They both start with D. They both shouldn't be used anymore. DPL and digoxin. So digoxin, we're just kidding. There's certain maybe roles out there for digoxin. Yeah. It's probably not in the emergency department. If you're going to start this drug, you should probably call, uh, call a cardiologist. Yeah. <laughs> so that's never going to be the right answer on your test question. You should use other options first. Yeah, really the only time that you're really going to be thinking about digoxin is digoxin toxicity yeah <laughs> pretty much it and again we're talking board moms yeah. there are select cases out there that get case reports on people getting digoxin therapy in the ed right. um, but in general board tests they do are not wanting you to pick this as an option mm-hmm. it's fallen out of favor all right so what's the eventual disposition here for these stable afib patients right are you going to convert them in the ed or not convert them well of course that's going to depend on so what state things. of afib there is right yeah. state of afib what is their chads vas 2 score I like to say here quotes multifactorial oh that's a good word multifactorial yeah. multifactorial causes of end organ ischemia <laughs> i love seeing that icu note <laughs> so for most persistent and permanent afib meaning persistent they have it pretty much every day of their life permanent yeah. means it is there every day of their life and they've had it for years we don't cardiovert these people we just quote unquote tolerate the afib with rate or rhythm control Anticoagulation has to happen prior to cardioversion. And that's kind of another hotly debated topic in the literature. We're just going to sum it up really fast and what's going to be board relevant for you for anticoagulation with cardioversion. Patients with AFib less than 48 hours duration and minimal risk factors, meaning they don't have heart failure, they're less than 60 years old, they don't have diabetes, they can safely undergo ED cardioversion and be discharged. And you should be starting heparin in these people if you're planning to cardiovert within you know six hours or so and then you can cardiovert, and after you cardiovert them, they will have to go home on a NOAC therapy if they tolerate it for a minimum of four weeks. And I like to emphasize, I think of a perfect patient, I think of the holiday heart syndrome patient for this. Right. A young person, less than 30 years old, 
uh, that's just out drinking for the weekend or something like that, or did like a line of cocaine or both. <laughs> and, <laughs> usually it's both. Yeah, usually it's both. And they have AFib and they have no other risk factors, no other disease. This patient would be the perfect person for less than 48 hour duration, minimal other risk factors. So again, no CHF, less than six years old, no diabetes, etc. They can safely undergo ED cardioversion. They get heparin right before the procedure. They go home on a NOAG, check in with the cardiologist perfect person for that procedure. What if you have AFib greater than 40 hours? Well, you're going to need anticoagulation for three weeks. The risk of clotting is just so high after 48 hours that you need three weeks of a pre-procedural anticoagulation, then you undergo a TEE uh, echo, and then you will likely undergo cardioversion. What about those cardioversion options again? Chemical yeah, so, electric. Let's yeah, talk the, about the, that. We haven't really talked about that yet. The cardioversion options here, we got chemical and electrical. Um, if you're Canadian, you love chemical. They love to do chemical cardioversion up there. Um, you know me. You know me, Doctor. You're saying I know. You just like you bought pass. me a defibrillator for I, my birthday. I, know. I did. I know. No, he didn't great. actually. It was a by that break. I made it by myself. Yes. I just got some batteries and, <laughs> <laughs> and put some pads together. Put some pads together. Yeah, I, I love electricity and electrical cardioversion statistically is much more successful overall. It's much more successful than all the other options we presented today. It's greater than 95% success rate if it's less than 48 hours of onset of AFib. It gets a little. Uh, clouded afterward. Chemical cardioversion includes procainamide, which is the most preferred agent. It also, you can use flecainide. I love saying that. Flecainide. <laughs> so, amiodarone, you can prefer of heart disease, but yeah, procainamide is a preferred agent. Those chemical agents range from like 70 to 80%, I think, effectiveness on, on average. Um, so, electrical is more effective than chemical on average. That's what the um, one of the answer choices was. Right. And I want you to just tie this up at the end here. So give me the summary of that AFib cardioversion dispositions, and then who's going home with the anticoagulation? Because when it comes to board pearls, I think this is the next two minutes that you're going to describe this is critical for people to know. Absolutely. I totally agree. So paroxysmal AFib, these people are new onset or comes and goes AFib, cardiovert them in the ED if they're young patients with no risk factors, and you send them home with a NOAG with cardiology follow-up. Persistent. Persistent AFib. It's case by case, really. Not going to be a board topic. This can be a very sticky, cloudy situation that they're never going to test you on, other than just usually err on the side of caution. So persistent AFib, we usually do rate control, and we always have to ensure they are on anticoagulation when we send them home. And permanent. Permanent. We never cardiovert these people. I think even med students know this. Right. These people, we tolerate their AFib. We always ensure they're on proper anticoagulation if it applies to their situation given Chad's VAS score. So speaking of anticoagulation, who is going home with anticoagulation? So anyone that has undergone cardioversion obviously gets anticoagulation. The rest of those people get a Chad's VAS applied to them. And from there, you obviously do a has blood score too, a scoring on their risk of bleeding. So you need a risk of clotting, risk of bleeding, weigh the risks and benefits, have a conversation with the patient, follow up with their cardiologist. The NOAGs are preferred in this case, for multitude of reasons, and it's beyond the scope of this, you know, presentation here. Uh, warfarin is preferred in those with valvular heart disease. That's all I got. That was a lot of information, but I think it's good because everything that we described basically would be at least about ten questions that <laughs> you'd be presented yeah. with, or ten different forms of questions. That's that almost you know on the way to passing. <laughs> ten questions, right? Wow. <laughs> Pass equals MD, right? That's All right, you want to take us out? That is another board bomb delivered. Remember to sign up on our website, emboardbombs.com, for future episodes and content. We have been on a tear, Dr. Briggs has, with these awesome one-page summaries of how to manage all this care. Uh, drops an Apple review. Uh, those are great. We're really just having a strong board bombing campaign. It really is. Un- yeah, unrelenting, I, really. I really thought unrelenting. after, uh, you know, some of these 
board exams that happened, we started to see a dip in traffic, but uh, we appreciate everyone getting the word out. Yeah. So it's been a lot of fun. I think people realize that they're sick of the seriousness of studying. <laughs> I think they are. We'll leave our listeners that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See ya. Peace.